uh, was reached through Paul through his ministry, and he went back to his family and friends there in Colossa, and uh, some became believers, and they began to, to form a fellowship. Some of the things began to surface that were concerned to Epaphras, so he goes back to Paul. Paul was in prison in Rome, and he goes back to Paul, and he reports to him some of the things that are going on. And so Paul and the fellowship of people that are there have been praying for that church, and Paul writes a letter, and I suppose he puts it in the hand of Epaphras, and he takes it back, but we have the privilege of reading it here. And uh, so he's very thankful for the things that are going on. And he mentions that we give, we thank the, the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ and praying always for you since we heard your faith. We heard what God is doing. And uh, so um, we've uh, not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you be filled with the full knowledge, the experiential knowledge of his will, which is a, an astounding thing to pray that they would, that these people who were pagans not long ago and now have come to faith, that the Lord is, Paul is praying that they would be filled with his full knowledge of God's will and that knowledge, particularly in the area of having wisdom and understanding wisdom, the ability to handle life and understanding to know how to intelligently pull things together. Both of those are modified by the little word spiritual, so that he's saying you'll have spiritual wisdom, and spiritual knowledge in the realm of the spirit, in the realm of the things of the spirit. And that's what we want. We want to have, as we study the scriptures and as we look at the realm around us, we want to have a, a world view that is centered in God's word. And we want to see things and interpret things in the light of what we understand is true. And uh, we have a great God. And these may be depressing times, but they are exciting times because we're seeing the hands of, of God move. And I think he's going to use us. I think we're going to be um, quite surprised at what he does and how he works. He's, he's a great God and he's, he loves people and we love people. We want to, to be used of him. So he's giving thanks to the Lord um, who has, he says there, qualified, made us sufficient for the uh, to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. That word share is a kind of a real estate term uh, having to do with proportion so that we, that we can be sufficient for the proportion of the inheritance of the saints in light. Uh, we think of the inheritance in the Old Testament where the Lord proportioned real estate by lot, and that's what the word inheritance means, is giving things by lot, allotments. And uh, so there is this kind of this connection that, that Paul is praying about here, that they would understand these things that have been allotted to them. And uh, so we're looking at that. And what I've done is I've gone through, and I don't know that this is the best way, but I've gone through my concordance with the New Testament and picked out all the words that have to do with inherit things. And then I've just taken them in order as they appear in the New Testament to try to understand something of what has been allotted to us and what we can take advantage of it. And the first one was found in Matthew 5, 5, where um, the Lord says, blessed are the lowly, lowly, for they shall inherit the earth. And we looked at that. We know that this planet uh, it was created by the Lord. We know it's under the fall right now, but we are just going to be around for a long time. And we're going to reign upon the earth. And there's going to be a new heavens and a new earth. And God's going to create it. And we're going to be here. And he's in charge.
charge of it, and uh, we don't have to worry about whether we're going to damage it with a little bit of pollution or whatever, because he's able to handle it. And he is in charge of the weather, by the way. Man is not, but he is. And so we don't have to worry about it. There's not a problem that we, you don't, you don't need to go to sleep and lose sleep over some asteroid coming in and banging around on the planet. That's, uh, you want to worry about it, you can, but you don't need to. I don't worry about it. So anyway, the second thing inheriting is to inherit is the idea of eternal life. And we could talk about that a long time. We have um, physical life on Earth. Uh, bio is the, one of the words that's used, and uh, we have physical life. Life is sustained by nourishing and by caring and by protecting us and uh, seeing that the, everything is, is um, proper for sustaining life. But eternal life is different. Eternal life is life that's outside the realm of what we think of as life here on this planet. It's not the same thing that we, we think about. It's uh, spiritual in nature and it's eternal. And uh, if you go outside the realm of the physical universe and stuff, you're in that realm where God and uh, his, his throne is and what he reigns and what he rules. And those things are, are, are vastly different. They're over and bigger than what we think of the universe. And his life, that he's talking about the eternal life, is God life. And it's not, it's not the kind of life that we have to sustain. It's the life that's that uh, exist eternally. That's one of the things, that's one of the big things that separates the Lord from everybody and everything else. He and he alone has no beginning or no end. He needs nothing. He knows everything. He is absolutely in charge. And um, he is the only one who has the power of being in himself. He depends on and needs nobody. He needs nothing. We are totally dependent on him. If you turn, turn to Revelation and look in the book of Revelation, you see there that he is described, uh, and I'm not going to have a Bible over there, but he is praised. And in that picture, uh, it's a angels and chorus and the throne this majestic throne that's so bright you can't look at it and here you greatness you have the greatness of the one sitting on the throne and everybody and everything there is created with one exception and that is god he is the creator he is the sovereign and so he is the one that's in that realm and he is the one that has has the life and he shares that life with us that eternal life and we are privileged to inherit that from him uh, which uh, is is staggering. It's it's hard to talk about because it's really, it's it's difficult to really understand it you, we, because all we know is what we see here. And do you understand what I'm saying? It's kind of a difficulty. Anyway, we inherit eternal life. Another part of our inheritance is the kingdom. Is that realm um, where Christ is the head and we are His subjects and we are dependent on Him and uh, it is His fellowship and His work. And when we get together, that's what we're going to do Sunday night for the Bountiful Harvest, which I really enjoy and appreciate you guys putting that together. It's a time of fellowship, and that fellowship is very sweet and very special, and it's the best fellowship there is. Uh, and we just enjoy it. We have a good time. And uh, that is the kingdom. That's part of the kingdom, part of the church, part of the fellowship we have together. And he is the head, and he is the sovereign over that. Then we see also that we inherit salvation. 
And salvation is does have to do with deliverance from sin, also deliverance. We talked last time you mentioned in your prayer about addictions and other things. We are delivered by the power of the gospel, uh, the salvation of that relationship uh, through faith and repentance. We are delivered from these things and we are um, united with, Christ, with the Lord and we inherit this, this reality of salvation uh, which is which is staggering. It's it's uh, beyond uh, thing, things that we deserve. We know that, and we're just very thankful for that. As you can tell, I'm kind of hurrying because I'm trying to get to the last one that we are on this morning, and that is the next. The next thing is, and the verse that uh, I latched on to to start us is Hebrews six, and uh, Hebrews six. Um, Paul is, is, is the writer, not Paul, the writer to the book of Hebrews is saying, we desire that each one of you show the same diligence so as to realize the full assurance of hope until the end. And that, um, that's that anticipation, that hope until the end, so that you may not become dull, but be but imitators of those who through faith and it says patience, it's probably better to translate it long-suffering inherit the promises and all that is is just a, a verse that launches us on the another aspect of what we inherit we inherit promises and i want to talk about that for just a few moments and i realize that uh it's it may be a, a topic that seems to be kind of simple it is not it is a it's a very important topic and uh, the more i look at it the more impressed i am uh, and i'm glad we can take these few moments to look at the subject of promises uh, the nature of the, the inheritance, when you talk about inheritance, you're talking about uh, things that are inheriting things that are not just distributed. It's not like we're gaining some things. I used to feed the, the, the birds out in the front of the yard and you put uh, black uh, sunflower seed or you put breadcrumbs out and you just toss them out and the birds come and eat it. That's not, that's not quite the way it is with an inheritance. An inheritance, things are distributed, not randomly, but according to a plan, um, so that it's given to certain people that we call heirs. And uh, so it's a specific way of getting things. It's, it's things that are reserved for the ancestor that are, or an heir, uh, one who may but by genetic, genetic transmission qualifies to receive it or whatever. Um, the rich young ruler, if you remember, asked the question to Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Remember that. Uh, and so uh, he was just asking, what kind of activity do I need to perform? Or what kind of practice do I need to, to perform? Uh, he knew that he was a Jew and he was very happy about that. And he knew that he was in a position of influence. And he had a lot of wealth, and both both of those things made him feel secure that he was he was been blessed and was part of the right lineage. And he just wanted to be sure to get all the bases covered. And so he wanted to know that he asked Jesus, "What must I do to be to inherit eternal life?" Turned out uh, he had not done enough to be inherited eternal life. You can't do enough if you're a sinner, and uh, that he needed a complete heart transformation. And since the money was his dominant God, Jesus said, take everything you have, sell it, give it to the poor, and you come and follow me. And uh, he wasn't willing to do that. By the way, that points out something, doesn't it? That when uh, Jesus tells us to deny ourselves, they were across and follow him, 
that's that's an impossible task unless the Lord is working in your heart. Because the things that we have actually have us. And they they of them uh, several passages one of them was in Acts 13 where Paul we mentioned it earlier Paul uh, was on his first missionary journey preaching uh, up in Antioch uh, Syria Antioch and he, he says that we proclaim to you talking to them he says we proclaim to you good news that's the gospel we proclaim to you good news of the promise made to the father so this is good news this is promise made to Abraham and to the fathers that God has fulfilled this promise to our children. So here is the, the nature of the inheritance that promises have been made to individuals. And in this particular case, they were made to the fathers, but they have been fulfilled to our children. Um, and he said, he raised up Jesus, also as he written in the second Psalm, you're my son today, I've forgotten you. So he's saying here that um, the promises made to the fathers to send one who would be a deliverer, Jesus uh, was fulfilled to their children. And here's a nature we're going to look at in a minute, and that is that promises um, require, and Larry touched on it really clear. He just somehow took my, my, my message when he was talking about it earlier, is that the promises, there is a time frame, there is a wait. It isn't that, that you have everything now and you don't need anything. It is a promise, the very nature of a promise is something that is promised. Then there is a period of waiting, a period of anxiety, a period of struggling, period of praying, period of growing, period of denying, until that promise is fulfilled. There is that anticipatory nature with a promise, wanting something. And uh, so this is this was made to the fathers, but it's being fulfilled later to the children. We know that God made promises to Abraham back in Genesis chapter 12. Uh, he promised a uh, land, promised a seed, promised a, a nation to be make a great nation of him. That promise was uh, was reaffirmed with Isaac, Genesis 26, as well as Jacob, Genesis 28. Um, and so we 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 understand this. We we understand that this is a is a, a nature of what God is doing. That He's made promises, 
and he's made promises to us. And we are looking at the area of recipients. I wanted to look at, uh, maybe look at Acts 2 for just a moment. If you remember in Acts 2, Peter is addressing the Jews who crucified Jesus. We talked about it this morning. The Jews were really, really upset when, when Peter pointed out that they had with wicked hands to crucify their Messiah. And they were, they were saying in verse, around verse 37, uh, when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart, which means that the word and the spirit were working in their lives. And so in Acts 2, 37, they were pierced to the heart, and they said to Peter and to the rest of the epistles, men, brothers, what shall we do? I mean, you can't hardly think of anything more tragic and more disturbing, even worse than betraying it is, is crucifying your own Messiah. And that's what they did. They were crucified. They, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent, each of you. Be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And let me just stop there for just a moment. You know I'm going to say something about it. But baptism, we don't believe in baptism regeneration. The Bible doesn't teach that. Being baptized is not going to save you. But what this is in the very early days of the church, when a person was saved, they were baptized. That baptism was a, was a, a positive symbol that you had turned from yourself, turned from the things that you're holding on to, and you had died to self, and you've been resurrected in Christ. And it was a, a way of saying that that's happened. And uh, it, it's that we know that since then, uh, people have gone through the motions, but they really haven't repented. Remember the kids at the church that they said, before I met Christ, I was miserable. And after I met Christ, everything went better. But that that's, um, we know that that, we understand that, that they were just saying that. But baptism doesn't say, but here is what he's saying, that you repent, each one of you, and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, and the gift of the Holy Spirit is proof of the fact that the Holy Spirit had come into their life, proof that they had really been regenerate, been born again. And so this is what Peter is saying to them. He says, for the promise, you see that? Here is a promise. We're talking about promises. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off as many as the Lord our God will call to himself. The promise of salvation, the promise of the Holy Spirit, the promise of the gift of the Holy Spirit is there. It comes from God. And it is not just to those of you in this room, but to all who are far off, as many as the Lord God will call to himself. God is the one that's in charge. He is the one that calls sovereignly, and he calls people to himself. Now, you see that, and that reminds me of what Paul said in the book of Ephesians. In Ephesians chapter 2, uh, and this has to do with uh, Gentiles coming into the faith, because that's what he's saying, that the, the door that is open uh, to Jews there in Jerusalem is also going to be open to those who are far off, that is, the Gentiles. That's what he's saying. Therefore, he said, Verse 11 of Ephesians 2, remember that you formerly, the Gentiles in the flesh, who were called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision, he said, remember that you Gentiles, those of you that eat uh, pork and uh, have, uh, I don't know how to put it, uncircumcised, by those who are circumcised, by those who are Jews, remember that you Gentiles, um, Remember that you were at the time without Christ. Here's the condition of the Gentiles. You were without Christ, alienated 
from the citizenship of Israel. I like that idea. That's the fellowship of being a citizen of Israel. You were part of God's kingdom. You're alienated. You're uh, without Christ, alienated from the citizenship of Israel. You were strangers to the covenants of promise. That is, to the promises that God had made to them. You were outside of that. You had no hope. And you were without God in the world. But now, ah, in Christ Jesus, you who formerly were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. What does he say back up in, in the day of Pentecost? The promises for you and your children and all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. So here are the promises that were originally made to the Jews are now being extended to those who are far off, to the Gentiles. You've been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who brought both groups one who brought who made both groups one into one broke down the dividing wall that dividing wall is the dividing wall in the temple which separated the court of the gentiles from the other areas that were accessible to the jews and so you have you have the temple you have the place where only the jews can go there's a dividing wall within the gentiles that dividing wall has been knocked down in christ so we can come together we have access through Jesus, just as good as any as any Jew, and that's that. That's the idea of those that that have inherited the promises, and now God is expanding that to those that are far off. And so He He says that He says you have knocked that wall down, abolished in the flesh the enmity of the law of commandments contained in the ordinance, so that in Himself He might create two into one new man, making peace. Thus. He might reconcile in one body, I love that, both in one body to God through the cross, having in himself put to death the enmity. And he came and he preached the good news of peace to you who were far away, that's the Gentiles, and peace to those who were near, that's the Jews. For through him, that is Christ, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. You can't get any closer than that. We have one spirit. We have access through Christ. So then you are no longer strangers. You were earlier, but you're no longer strangers. You're no longer sojourners wandering around aimlessly, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's family. So that, that, that here's recipients of specific sometimes they are it's going to be out of time here in a little bit uh, the nature of dividing promises two things about that
also, and if it were not so, but it's true. He, um, he is absolutely trustworthy. You can bank on it. You, you that might not be able to bank on a lot of things. A lot of people in positions of prominence may say, you may not be able to bank on things <coughs> that you hear on the TV or hear on the news, but I guarantee you, you can bank on what God says. And the promises that he made, notice there from all eternity. And uh, I think the significance of that is that they are not, they're not as the Lord sees how things are happening and that he is trying to pull out the, the stock he's going to come and shuffle things around and make it work out and fit into our modern times it, <laughs> the, 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 the plans of the are too and they're outdated we're going to make it adjust it that's not the case everything is on schedule this plan and he's done it a long time ago and it's still working it's still in, in a good thing <coughs> you know we were <coughs> watching the I watch Fox News a bit and there's a lot of concern about the election and we're sitting through the election and look count down the minutes and the hours and the votes and see which area is going to get a red way and which way is going to stay a Democrat and all this kind of stuff. He's already established it. That's a comfort to me to know that he is not wait to see what happens he's not it's not like he knows what this is going to happen anyway no it's that he is in charge and when we say it's unfold to be honest i don't always agree with it i don't always like it he didn't ask me he doesn't need my opinion on it although i've given it to him a lot of times he doesn't need it he's very patient and very merciful and very gracious to me but he, he he, uh, he, he's in charge. He's on the throne. So the, the, the nature of his divine promises are that from all eternity. Also, they are the faithfulness. <coughs> and I just want to mention that. Let me get a little simple. Thank you, David. Um, book of Hebrews. Let's look at the book of Hebrews for just a minute to talk about this. And when I say the faithfulness of divine promise that, that God is faithful in the Hebrews 10 uh, verses 22 through 24 talk about the uh, that passage within uh, that heaven that they, that they preached in the heavenly temple in the heavenly realm where there's heavenly worship Okay, you got to get that picture. And because of Jesus, the writer to the Hebrews says, okay, since we have confidence, <clears throat> let us draw near, <clears throat> let us hold fast, and let us consider how to stimulate. Those three things are mentioned here. Let us draw near, let us hold fast, and let us consider. And this is, this is uh, drawing drawing near to the holy place, drawing near to the Lord in heaven, in worship, in our quiet time, in our study, 
All three of these are in the present tense, which means that this is something we should do as a habit. It's something we need to do all the time. When he says, let us draw near, he kind of amplifies that by saying with a sincere heart or a genuine heart or an honest heart. So we draw near to the Lord in our daily quiet times, in our daily walk, with a genuine, honest heart, in full assurance of faith. And it's that faith that we have the assurance that we can do that. And so we draw near with full assurance of faith. We have our hearts sprinkled. That's iris. That means that this is a, a definite something that's done indeed and it takes care of it it's done for sure that's uh having a heart sprinkled is kind of a ceremonial washing in the temple but it has to do with salvation having our hearts cleansed uh in salvation from an evil conscience my, my conscience bothers me sometimes about even today the things that i've done that that, that bother my conscience and uh, from a guilty conscience and we have our hearts sprinkled from a from a guilty conscience and have our bodies also washed also heiress with pure water so this is talking about salvation and the cleansing of salvation be be thankful that god cleanses us because we're dirty be thankful he can cleanse the heart because nobody can cleanse the heart only god can do that and so that's a wonderful blessing so here's the first thing we draw near as a habit as a performance uh, daily to the lord uh, having our hearts sprinkled and our conscience uh, our bodies washed with pure water. Second, he says, not only do we draw near, but we hold fast. That means that we, we, we don't let go. We are faithful to hold on. We hold fast our confession of hope. We don't do a, a confession here, but the early church used to do a confession. And I think it was Jesus is Lord, if I remember correctly. The first confession in the church was Jesus is Lord. Then they would amplify it. There are churches, especially Presbyterian churches, that will have a confessional, like they'll read the Apostles' Creed or something like that, and they'll do it. That we confess these things that are sound, the points of sound doctrine. There's nothing wrong in doing that, uh, as long as they're all, the confession is, is biblically based. But anyway, he said, let us hold fast to the, to the confession of our hope, without wavering without vacillating for he who promised is faithful so we want to hold on and latch on and be remain faithful every day not only for our coming quiet time but uh, maintaining the sandal the truth of scripture even when the things are difficult you mentioned that we go through times of, of trouble and times of hardship we do and there are times of difficulty we need to hold on to it in spite of that because the one who promised is faithful he will keep his promises third let us consider uh, and again this present tense of the habit is the way of life let us consider how to stimulate the word stimulate is kind of a violent term it could be encourage or provoke or incite one another uh to love and good work so that while the first one talks about driving coming near continually on the basis of worshiping and the second one talks about holding on to our confession the doctrinal statements of the truth the last one talks about coming together and inciting each other and stimulating each other to fellowship for love and good work so those three are in there and all these things are to be done continually and the reason being is stated in the middle verse is because the one who has made these promises is faithful god's made promises and he's faithful and notice the delay it's your whole life Sometimes you'll go through your whole life and not see the fulfillment of the promises until you stand before the Lord. Hebrews talks about that. They didn't receive the promise. They didn't receive what was promised, many of them. 
but he's promised and he's faithful and he will keep it. There seems to be something normal about the way the Lord deals with her as us in that he doesn't always give us what we want when we want it, but he, he holds out a little bit. And uh, sometimes people have, have thought that was a bad thing, that the Lord is, is mistreating us. He's not mistreating us. He doesn't have to do anything to us. He can just turn us over into hell where we belong. But he doesn't. He loves us and he works in our hearts and works in our lives to make us more like the Lord Jesus. And so he's been faithful and he works. Um, Sarah, another one, Hebrews 11, I'm, I'm, i got to move quickly. Sarah says, by faith she... Uh, herself received ability to conceive even beyond the proper time of life and she regarded him as faithful who had promised. Here's Sarah. One of the most important things with Sarah and Abraham in their whole life was to have children. God had made a promise to Abraham that the world was going to be blessed with him and yet he didn't have a son. How could he, how could the world be blessed with his seed when he didn't have his children? So Sarah eventually got Hagar, the, the Egyptian handmaid in there and she took him to him and said, you go ahead and have children and we'll see these promises make we we can do things to try to help god with his promises and uh you know we can borrow the money to do this or we can do a lot of things to help him with his promises but if he's promised to do it you can take your hands off he's going to get it done and he'll make in it his work time. in his time in his way and just using the things that he wants to use he never makes a mistake and so here's same with in, in romans 4 quickly uh Paul writes in Romans 4, the promise was to Abraham and to his seed that he would be heir of the world, that the world would be blessed through Abraham and to his seed. It was, it was not through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For those who are of the law are heirs. Uh, faith has been made empty and the promise has been abolished because it's through the law, it's not by faith. But he said, for the law brings about wrath, but where there is no law, there is, a, there is also no trespass. For this reason, it is by faith in order that it may be according to grace. God's fulfilling his promise through grace so that the promise will be guaranteed to all the seed and not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. I know it's, it's a big chunk to take, but he's just saying that it's not by, not, not by our keeping the law that God's promise is going to be fulfilled, but it's by his grace and his mercy that he's going to fulfill these promises. He's going to be a father of many nations. I've made you in the presence of him who believed even God gives life to the dead. What does he mean life to the dead? Abraham is dead. In that sense, he couldn't have children. Neither could Sarah. She was too old. He gives life to the dead and calls into being that which does not exist. God can do it in the hope against hope. You, can you see these verses that here's Abraham with this promise and this hope and young, longing for these things and yet now he's dead, his, his body's dead and he can see no way that possible this hope could be fulfilled and he could go in day in and day out and week in and week out with this promise and he knows what God's made and yet how can it possibly happen and yet he believed so that he might become a father of many nations according to that which had been spoken you, so, so, your, so shall your seed be and without becoming weak in faith, he contemplated his own body, now as good as dead, since he was about a hundred about years old, in the deadness of Sarah's womb. Yet, with respect to the promise of God, he did not waver in unbelief and grew strong in giving glory to God and being fully assured that what God had promised he was able to do. And today, we look back at that promise is fulfilled, and we can see a nation and a world. We can see how the world was blessed through Abraham and his offspring, and God is faithful. 
And then the last thing, and I'm just going to mention it, and that is the result of his, his uh, divine promises. They are, they're given, well, okay, two verses. James 1, 12 says this, Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial. For once he has been approved or tested, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised those who love him. Faith, the promises come and test us sometimes, and uh, yet <clears throat> these are we are on the trial, we're weak. He says in James 2 5, listen, my beloved brother, did not God, God choose the poor of this world to be rich in faith? He chooses poor things, he chooses weak things, um, and yet he chooses poor things and weak things to exalt us by making us heirs of the kingdom which God has promised to those who love him. And so I guess what we're seeing on this last thing is the, the, the result of these divine promises is that he, he chooses to work with those who seem to be weak, uh, foolish. Uh, he uses these things to test us. That's what he said in the text. Um, he does that, does that a lot. He does that in James. He does that in many. And, and you said it too. And they, you're right. You're exactly right. That this testing is part of our growth. It's part of the strengthening process that he does that in the promises which causes us to have to wait, um, which I think if we would get a show of hands throughout the entire Christian community, they would all be unanimous in that they don't like to wait. They want it now. Yes, but he always seems to make us wait until his time and his way. And uh, it is always best. And it is always right. And we are always wrong. And we walk away after that shaking our head when we see how he's answered it. And we are very thankful, and we say, well, I'm not going to do that anymore, but the next time the test comes, we do it again. He is good. So let's bow in prayer. Father, thank you for uh, the promises that you have made to us. You've made them to Abraham. You've made them over generations. Um, and you never forget them. I think of the children of Israel that were under Pharaoh and how they suffered. And the Bible says, you remembered the covenant, that's a promise. You remember the covenant. And you went to deliver them. And it was not just that it happened, but you had planned it that way over generations. And you used that as a process to bring about your perfect world. You are so good and so great and so wonderful and so marvelous. And we are so thankful to be associated with you. And we thank you for your promises. And we thank you for your mercy. And we thank you for your grace. And we ask your blessing. Now upon us, this church, this body, uh, it is small. That is not a surprise to you. And yet, we want to be big in faith. We want to honor you. We want to, to serve you. We want to die to self and, and live to you. That you can fulfill your promises in us and through us. And that we would be faithful. Pray for this coming week. And also pray for the, the uh, harvest coming up. Thank you for that time. It is a good time. Throughout scripture, churches have had fellowships like this and have done things together. We always enjoy it. I pray that you would be honored and glorified. And help us to bring those that should be here. I pray. And we pray for the study tonight as well. We pray in Jesus' name.